In the last uh, few weeks, we've been um, launching as we've entered into September because we know there's a lot of new people with us. Uh, we're launching into talking about our visions and values, and we've heard about the Word of God in the last few weeks. And today, what I want to talk about uh, is the next part of our values, which is family. And I feel like when, uh, we, when we were talking about the messages that were coming up, when Mike asked me to preach this morning, I was like, oh, family, that's a nice, cuddly message. Just tell you a few nice things and, and send you on our way. And the more I delve into it, the more I look at it, the more I see what Jesus said about his family, his disciples, how they relate to one another. This is a radical, radical message for us, especially where we come from, especially where we live, especially what's happening to culture and what's changing in the family environment and how we relate to each other as a community in the church. I'll just read out quickly what our, our, our vision statement is for family. It says, family is important in all that we do. We strive for the integration of all ages, races, cultures, walking and working together in a multi-generational and multifaceted expression of all that God has intended for us and all that God has called us to. And that's an amazing vision statement. Like, we enable one another. We're, we've mentioned it before in, in preachers gone by that we're, we're an odd group of people that get together. We come from all generations, lots of different nations here this morning, lots of different languages, and we go out from there as well. And today it stands as kind of a stark contrast. And I think, I, you know, as I look into it, over the last 200 years, what has happened to connections? We've you know, we're able to, I was able to fly in and come to Canada. I was able to meet my wife in, in Mozambique, and she was Canadian, so we came here. And we have this diverse culture now because of technology and because of transportation and the Industrial Revolution has enabled the, um, the good news, the message to go out to every tribe and every, well, not quite every tribe and every nation yet, but it's enabled the good news to go out to every country around the world, and it enables us to come together. But technology in recent years has also had uh, sort of an opposite effect. We have also an illusion of connection sometimes as well. Our digital consumption has replaced physical connection. We present this sort of curated, flawed but not flawed image of ourselves online through Instagram, Facebook, what we decide to post. How many of you guys have, have sat there looking at a picture, you really liked it when you took it, and then when you go to post it, you're like, oh, I've deleted it. I do that all the time. If you look at my Instagram, I haven't posted on it in ages because I do that a lot. I think oh, this is a sweet picture to share, and then I don't share it because I'm, I'm, I'm too insecure or too, um, too worried about how people perceive me, that it's not perfect. And technology and the internet was supposed to bring this great connection. It was supposed to be this utopian society that would bring down the Soviet Union, bring down all these things. If you look back to when it was invented, people had all these ideas for it. And now it's become sort of echo chambers created by algorithms that present us the most ideal picture of ourselves just to keep you on the platform. The greatest, if you're, if you're an Instagram user as well, you know this by your explore feed. Your explore feed is tailored to you. If you compare my explore feed and Camilla's explore feed, they're completely different because it's figured out what we like, what it wants to present to us to try and keep you on it as much as possible. And it's amazing, you know, I don't, I'm a, I'm a techno nerd, I love the internet, I'm so glad that I'm from the generation that has benefited from, it, benefited from it, and the gospel has gone out, and it goes out in so many different ways because of the internet, I don't think it's a bad thing, but there's this give and take as we step in, and we have to examine how that affects us in the church. 
It's also brought around in our society the self-affirming things where your truth, your self-truth is more important than the truth because you're so used to being just seeing your little echo chamber, your little society. And it's created this, instead of a utopia, it's created division some, sometimes and it's falling into sort of a, like a fallacy. And what's, what's funny is um, just in the things that I've been listening to recently, the different podcasts that I connect with and different things that I read, articles and such, we know that the more connected, even though we're more connected than ever before globally, the stats all say that we're more lonely than ever before, that anxiety is up amongst our young people more than ever before, even though we're more connected. One, um, as I was researching in the last couple of weeks, one insurance company, now it's from the States, and they have lots and lots of money. They really care about what makes people sick, because if they can fix what makes people sick, their profit margins go up. So this one um, company did this report on loneliness, and they said that loneliness is now an epidemic amongst our society. They think it's, more, it's worse than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It takes from your life, and it takes. And lonely people, we know, if you look into the reports, into the stats, that lonely people live shorter lives. They get sick more. They recover from cancer worse than people who are connected. Why is this? Now, we're not going to go into all that this morning, but it's an interesting thing. Is even though we, in the United Kingdom, where I come from, life expectancy is actually going down. And one of the things they pin it on is this anxiety, this loneliness, all these different things. Mike Pilavachi, uh, a preacher from my, my home country, says that I'm utterly convinced that so many of our anxieties, our pains, is largely due to the fact that we don't know how to do community anymore. We don't know how to love one another anymore. This is a lonely generation. And Mother Teresa said, who lived and who served God in the most poverty-stricken land, who saw the worst of the worst of the poor, said this about the worst poverty. She said, the most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. And that's interesting for us as we come and as we, as we come here today. You know, we, one of the effects of, um, you know, um, all that stuff, or all our societies, we step into the new, we're more individualistic than ever before. We live in an individualistic society, and everything's about me. One writer said, we worship the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. And that's what we worship today. You know, and if we, and that, this is something new, and it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't think of me as you. Like, I've grown up in a generation where that has been the truth, that has been the thing. If you look back through society, that's not been the ultimate truth, and there's many cultures out there who don't have that as their foundation. But it's all, life is all about my goals, my passions, my rights, my feelings, my truth based off those feelings, and my destiny. And today in our society, if you step in front of all, all the stuff that I want to do, then that's a big issue. If you have an opinion about, about me that I don't agree with, that's a big issue. And in the church, as we, uh, you know, as society moves this way, we can bring some of that stuff into the church. And a lot of the times, we, we just use the same language, but we walk in individualistic faith. You know, we walk in my calling, my walk, my ministry, my anointing. Am I getting what I want from the church that I go to? But the church isn't supposed to be an I. We know that. The church is supposed to be an us, and it's supposed to be a we. And that's what I love about Oceanside. We want to be a family. We want to be a body. We want to exchange this I for we. And we want to be a family 
not because secular reports tell us that we need to be a family. We want to be a family this morning here because Jesus told it to his disciples and he commanded it to us and the, the New Testament is full of family. Um, we'll turn to, we're going to read a lot of what Jesus said here this morning. Um, in John 13, if you want to turn there, if you have your Bibles, we'll also put it up on the screen. But in John 13, uh, from verse 34, Jesus gives a new commandment. He's, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus knew that the early church, that this so small little organization that he was, not organization, this family that he was starting, needed love for one another, otherwise they were not going to stand a chance to survive the persecution that was coming. They had, Christianity has no chance to survive the alien cultures that they were going to live in, that they were going to go out to, if they did not have this love for one another, with the degree and the passion and the commitment which Jesus first loved us. The other awesome thing, if you just leave that verse on the, on the screen there, Tim, the other awesome thing is that people, sorry, the people will know us by the fact that we love one another. You know, that's an amazing thing. How many times have you heard someone say, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church? That's a popular saying out there sometimes. Gandhi had a take on that as well. He said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. And that's because we struggle with this thing. Genuine love for one another is one of the greatest tools we have, Jesus says. Why? Because when odd people suddenly start genuinely loving one another, we're odd people here this morning. When we start genuinely loving one another, it's so counter to how the world operates that people say, there must be a God. Multiple times, we're going to look at three different scriptures that Jesus says, and he combines this thing with us loving one another, and that being proof to society that Jesus was sent. And that's a stark contrast. We don't often think about that. We think about evangelism as, you know, apologetics and good preaching, and alpha courses and all this stuff, and we have to do all those things. We can show love through all of that. But ultimately, Jesus says the ultimate proof is that if you love one another, people will believe in me, Jesus. One of the testimonies that stood out to me, occasionally you hear a testimony that really stands out to you, that really sticks with you. I think I even mentioned it last week as we did the baptisms as well. Um, But Emma Dawson, uh, I don't know if she's here today, she's very pregnant, she's about to have a baby. But I remember when she first came to the church, because of her testimony, she came and got baptized. And one of the things that she said in her testimony is that she she met her boyfriend David, David uh, Dawson, the Dawson family are here, and she met the Dawson women. And she saw the love that they had for one another and how they did community and how just that she had never experienced anything like that before. And she then was like, I have to find out why these people are like this. That's what I remember. And she came in and she found Jesus. Emma found Jesus exactly through that method that there was this family that loved one another enough that it proved and it, and it, and it, it proclaimed the name of Jesus. Well done, Dawson. There they are. <laughs> That's the call of all of us. In John 17, later in Jesus' ministry, he says this about it is, again, he says, the glory, and he's talking, to, he's talking to God here, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Think about that for a second. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you've sent me, and love them even as you love me. 
The, the crazy thing about that to me is the, the, the phrasing that Jesus is use, uses in that text. He says, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me. Often I think that I'm going to become perfect, I'm going to become fully sanctified, and this is true. When I see Jesus face to face, when I die, when I go see him, then perfection is going to come. But actually, Jesus is calling us to be perfectly one with one another now. Why? How do we know that? Because he's saying, be perfectly one to, one to each other now, so that the world knows that, that you sent me, God. This is for us now. We can work towards this now. We don't have to be divided. We don't have to be isolated. We don't have to be lonely. God is calling us into family. And he's calling us into a family, into a love that's so great that it's going to shout louder to the world than any cool Christian marketing campaign or anything else that we do. Um, one commentator said, said this. He says, did you ever walk into a church for the first time thinking, here's my goal. I'm going to get as close to these people as the father is close with his son. No way. We don't walk into church like that. You walk into church wanting to keep your distance, wanting to keep your space. Let's be honest. Lots of us walk into church today and want to have our communication with God and then we want to leave. But the more you go into scripture, you find that you can't connect with God unless you connect with his people. I know some of you right now are going, look, I didn't come to do that. I wanted my relationship with God to be right. I didn't want to join myself to these people. Yet this is the prayer of Christ in John 17. This type of unity to become perfectly one with one another. That's a high bar. Me and Camilla's marriage, we have a hard time being one together. That's hard enough. How am I going to be one with all you other people? I have no idea. But let's look at how Jesus might, might do that. Jesus is our standard of love. He said, love one another just as I have loved you. Do family, if I paraphrase from there, he says, do family just as I did with my disciples. Lay down your life for each other just as I did for you. Wash the feet of the one that will ultimately betray you just as I did. That's the true love of Jesus Christ. And the standard can feel impossibly high. And why does it feel so hard sometimes? We can feel, so what are the barriers to community? You know, one of the first barriers that I've found as, as I've looked at this, the barrier of us stepping into proper community is that we actually need to give up something to step into community with other people. You know, there's often, you know, you hear, you know, if you want to start a new habit, if you want to do something new, you can't just add that to your life because you've, your life is probably full. You can't start going to the gym at 5 a.m. in the morning and get a, a, a really killer body without going to bed a bit earlier in the evening. You know, there's, I've given up long time ago, but I used to set myself those targets. I'm going to join the gym for a year. I'm going to stay up till 11. I'm going to get up at 5, and I'm going to go to the gym. never works out. You burn out. You can't go because you haven't given up something to step into something new. And giving up freedom is so countercultural. Giving up a part of yourself to to, to hand over to a community is like a thousand percent countercultural from where we come to today. You know, that will probably get people to leave this place. And I'm not, I'm not saying you need to give up like ultimate freedom, freedom in Christ, but it's personal freedom. There's a level of autonomy and self-governance that we have to give up when we step into family. Some of, want, some of us want family-like relationships, but with zero commitment. You know, me and Camilla, we, we love leading the young adults, and we see so many young adults entering into community. But we know when we were going through that phase, that was a really big battle. 
you know, I want community, I want family, I want close connections, but I don't want to commit. A few months after getting married, I remember sitting, this was how long we've been married now, like nine years, ten years next year, going strong. But a few months after getting married, I remember, and I remember this feeling pretty well, I just remember looking out the window and thinking, wow, my life is not my own anymore. Like, we had dated for a long time. We knew for like a year and a half that we were going to get married. And, you know, we had been engaged for six months. And the, the reality was coming. But when we stepped into marriage, something just hit me. That's like, I can't just go out and change my jobs. I can't just decide my own schedule. I can't just decide what I do with my money and all of this stuff. It, it's us together. Had the same feeling when a few years later, about five years later, we had our first kid, Zion. I remember when he was about two months old, I guess I'm a bit slow on the uptake, the realizations hit me a couple months after I go through the thing. <laughs> but I remember distinctly, there was this one morning, and it must have been the summer because the sun was up, and uh, Camilla was dealing with Zion in his bedroom. We were in there together, and I just was like, I, got to, I just got to leave, and I just got to go to the other room. I shut the doors. He, Camilla was going to be a bit of time with him. And I just sat in my bed thinking, Wow. Like, wow. <laughs> and now we have two kids. And to make it sound very negative, parenting is the, the greatest thing we've ever done. And we'll, we'll look at that why it's a great thing in a, in a bit. But in Romans 12, verse 4 to, 4 to 5, it says how we relate to each other in the church. And it sets another high standard for us. It says, Romans 12, verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and, what, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we through many form one body. And this is the bit that stands out to me here this morning. And each member belongs to all the others. Do you this morning belong to the people that are sitting around you? That's the true community that God wants to step into. I can say, as we step into leadership, have we seen that journey over the last few years of just stepping into that? I can say in some measure, I feel like I belong to you guys. I belong to this community. I belong to this family. In my relationship to my kids, for sure, like they belong to me and I belong to them. Like I actually love them so much because I belong to one another. But we can't be family, we can't be united in this body and, not, and think that we don't belong. And belonging has all sorts of things that we need to think about when we, come, when we come to that. Like we need you as much as you need us. And we need you to be a part and there's people around that love you and want to walk with you. As I was looking into this as well and just... Um, was um, been listening to a pastor down in um, Portland recently, and if you know Portland, it's this progressive city, and there's this church there that's doing uh, going really well. And he says this about his community and people coming from a very progressive city coming back into the church and finding their faith. And he says, "We're having to reteach people how to live in community because that means relational conflict, commitment." How do you be a flaky kind of text message at the not, how do you not be a flaky kind of text message at the last minute sorry I can't make it tonight for no reason person instead we're teaching people to show up to pitch in to help when pe- when somebody is offensive to you you talk to them about it when you are offensive you repent you stick it out together you share your resources basic human society stuff basic way of Jesus stuff but we're having to reteach people I think that's common for us. I mean, a lot of us know how to do conflict resolution, but some of us don't. Some of us, we've never grown up in a family where we work things out after things broke down. 
and the desire for us to walk into community, for us to walk into the things that Jesus has got for us as a family, we're going to have to have each other's backs. We're going to have to have the hard conversations. We're going to have to go back to that person that's offended us, that's let us down and come back up. One of the great tragedies, not great tragedies, I shouldn't say it like that. One of the things that I just experienced as we step into leadership, as we've stepped into eldership at this church, is we have the ability, me and Camilla have the ability to let people down on another level. I have the ability to disappoint you on a whole, love, whole other level. Who's laughing at the back? Is that mom? <laughs> Don't laugh too hard. Um, but we need this grace and peace for one another because we're imperfect people and sometimes we put too much weight on broken people. You know, I had this experience and many of us has had it, but when I first moved out of my house, I lived away, I was having big conflict with my dad at the time. And it was this good British, don't talk about it kind of conflict. I just didn't like him very much. We never talked about it. Great British way to do things. But after I lived out of the house for a year, and when I came back and when I, I yeah, traveled for about a year and a half, met Camilla, came back, uh, lived there for about another year and a half until, until we got married, I had a new grace for my parents because I knew what it was now like to live outside of the house. Now when I have kids, I have a new grace for my mom and dad. My mum's perfect. Oh, no. um, my mum is boy. But we have to have grace for one another. Because I realized that they were two imperfect humans just trying to do their best. And to live up to the radical oneness that Jesus wants us to step into, we need ra- radical conflict resolution and radical commitment to one another. That you choose a family to connect to and that you're bound to one another. That bouncing in one another so much that you want to walk through everything that could come your way. And I want to say there's some of us that bounce around from church to church to church. I don't want to call you out for the sake of calling people out this morning, but there's some of us that, you know, if we look over the last 10 years of our life or the last five years, how many churches have we connected to? What were the reasons why we left one church and came to another? If you're going from church to church, maybe every six months, I just want to say, just stop. It doesn't have to be Oceanside that you connect to, but stop and pick a community. Ask God, Lord, is this my family? Is this the people that you want me to call friends, want me to call brothers and sisters? Because you can't just leave your family in six months. I can't just leave my kids in six months. I mean, I could. That would be a terrible thing. But I'm tied to them forever. And we need to have that level of commitment for one another. Family, in return, encourage us. Is in Hebrews 10, verse 23 to 25. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love in good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more that you see the day drawing near. In verse 23, it sets a high standard. Can keep your confessional faith without wavering. Who's ever done that? Who's never wavered on their faith? Not me. And with the only hope that we have to do that well is in community, is what comes in verse 4. And let us consider how to stir one another up. When you pick your church, you need a church that stirs you up. We talk about the same thing with young married couples who want marriage prep. Pick someone who encourages you, who's going to think the best of you, who's going to want you to do more than you've ever done. 
not out of obligation, but in a, in a good, fruitful way to, to, to be the person that God has created you to be. We need to be the same in the church. We need to pick our churches because they're encouraging us, because they're stirring us up to love and good works. In Thessalonians 5, it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. I think to myself, where would I be without this community? For me, I'm an introvert. I don't like being up here. I don't choose to be up here. I don't say, pick me, pick me, put me up here. In this community, what's been really helpful for me is that guys have come along and said, hey, Andy, there's a call on your life. You know, Paul McMahon was one of the guys. He just started connecting with me and saying, what do you think? Hey, do you want to start leading a connect group? And I was like, oh, I don't think I'm especially good at connect group, but Camilla qualifies me because she's the social one. Yeah, I guess we can lead a connect group. But through that... Through that encouragement, through those people stirring me up, I'm here. I never thought I would be preaching uh, this morning before you, before a group of people. And it was so surprising when Mike and Debs had us over for dinner and they just said, hey, this is what we're thinking for you guys. I'm like, what? This has been a good church for us because we've been stirred up to the things that God is calling us to. I can honestly say I would have never put myself forward in that way because I'm not that type of person. I'm just, let other people do the things, but... You know, this church, you need to pick a church, you need, and we need to stir each other up and call those things out in people's lives, because otherwise people don't step into them. The other thing that does from Galatians 6, we see that family restores and bears each other's burdens. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted but bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ he was talking about was the new commandment that Jesus gave to us, to love one another like Christ has loved us. Family holds us to an account and it shares a standard as well. Left to our own devices, we often end up with a God that looks really similar to who we are. Left in my own devices, picking what I pick at on Instagram, liking the verses that really stand out to me on Instagram, Instagram shows me more of the same. And it's like that when we don't operate in family. You're in a family today. You're connected because it's a diverse family. And we hold each other to account, and we hold each other to a standard. Isolated people become strange people. What's the movie of that guy who lived on the island, uh, Tom Hanks? Anyway, if you spend an castaway, if you spend an, if you isolate yourself too much, you'll be talking to a football head. You know, that's the lesson from that story. But the, the same is true for us. God has wants us to operate within family, and I see this. I see family members in my in my own family um, that have just become isolated from the Christian family, and it becomes weird. It becomes odd. It becomes unhelpful. We are made to operate with each other. How do we do that? How do we reach this impossible standard? Um, impossible from, from ourselves. One of the things that we see within, within regular family is that we need a bias of love towards one another. You know, I don't get tired. I used to get tired of doing the dishes. When it was just me and Camilla, I don't want to clean. I don't want to do any of that. And I need to repent from that. That's not how you're supposed to be husbands. But I like did all that stuff I did it, but I did it begrudgingly. Now we have kids, there's people that I need to take care of. There's these little people that won't actually live 24 hours without us being there for them. 
life is so brittle in those early stages. And I don't get tired of doing the dishes or making lunches. It's nine o'clock at night and we're still tidying up from the day that's, that's happened. And I'm thinking, why am I doing this? I remember my mum saying, she used to do the dishes every day. There used to be a big pile at the end of the day, all these dishes. They ran this uh, daycare from home, so it was just like all the daycare stuff, all this. Our house was a mess at the end of every day. And she, I remember her telling me, she's like, I do it because I love you. And I'm like, that's dumb. I love you, but I don't do it. <laughs> love is not enough. We need a bias of love. Like, I love taking care of my kids because I'm so biased towards them. And that bias produces patience with them, commitment to them. And it's only in an environment of biased love towards one another that children can grow up well. We need the same thing for one another. I go before God and I ask God, let me be biased towards these people. Let me see the best in them. Let me see the love them. And we need to do that for one another. It's so hard at times. Good leaders in the church are those who are biased towards their church and the people around them. We need that for one another, don't we? We need to operate like mothers, fathers, brothers, and sisters. You know, family is easily the most prominent metaphor that the Bible, that the New Testament uses to represent the people of God. The word brother is used in the New Testament 139 times. Father, 63. Um... Son 17, children 39, if you add them all up, all the different things, just in Paul's 13 letters, there's 277 family words that connect to each other. Just in, not even the whole New Testament, just in Paul's letters, 277 times that he uses words so that we relate to each other in family, because that's how we connect. Even though Jesus didn't use the word family, he said to love one another, we know that family is the picture that the Bible constantly uses us for us to go forward. We learn from good teachers. We learn from good podcasts. We learn from good books. And knowledge isn't a bad thing. Good Christian knowledge is not a bad thing. But we don't grow from that stuff all the time. But we do grow from mothers, fathers, brothers and sisters. Families, family is where you grow up to maturity. And if you enter into family, if, if you operate like that, then we will grow up to the mature person that God is calling us in to be. You know, just some other thoughts. I'm just going to speed along here. You know, we need to see our role is to welcome the new person. Remember about my first week at Oceanside. I've talked about it before, but my first week at Oceanside, I don't remember who preached. Might have been Mike, might have been somebody else. I don't remember. I don't remember the word that was preached. You know, I remember that there wasn't any, like, crazy stuff that was said. Obviously, I didn't see any red flags or anything like that. But I don't remember who was preached. I don't remember what the topic was. I don't remember what the series was. I don't remember who led worship, but I do remember worship being good and fruitful and all this other stuff. But what I do remember from my first week at Oceanside Church was two faces that came to say hi to me, and me and Camilla. And it was Nathan and Megan Johnson. And the crazy thing about that, you think, oh yeah, Nathan and Megan Johnson, they're on the eldership team, they're leaders, of course they go up to the new people and see. Guess how many weeks that they had been at Oceanside Church when they came and welcomed us? I think it was one week. It was kind of odd. They came the week before. They were sitting in front of us, and at the end of the service, they turned around and said, hey, you must be new here, or I think you look like you're new here. I promise you, if you've been here six months, there's someone who's been here three months. Today is your first day. You know, just because we feel new doesn't mean we can't operate with the people around us like family and introduce them. You know, they said to us, hey, we, went, we came last week, we went to this young adults group. You should come to the young adults group. We're being invited to young adults by people who've been at the church five minutes. That's amazing. 
We should be a family like that. It's not the welcomes team's job. It's all of our jobs. If you see someone, we need to take the focus of us off ourselves, guys. I remember a few years ago, I was having a really, wasn't having a hard time. I don't think I've ever been like fully depressed. I have never been like been to see a doctor or anything like that. But I was in a real season of introspection, and I was unhappy. And I was remember I used to go for walks in the morning, and I just remember being, I would yeah, I think it was depression. And at the end of this season, it was going on for a while. I said to God, how do I get out of this thing? I, I wasn't always like this. Why am I like this right now? Why can't I get, why do I feel like this? And God said to me in that moment, and I remember it, he said, live for the benefit of others. And at that moment, you see, I had turned all eyes upon myself in the difficult stuff that we were like, maybe our finances were a mess, maybe we were having trouble in our marriage, all these different things, all these different things that could cause us to look in upon ourselves, my own failings, all this other stuff that had caused me to just look inwards and inwards and inwards. God's solution for that, me at that time was to, hey, worry about someone else. Take your eyes off of yourself and text someone who's having a hard time. And I tell you, out of that, Anxiety hasn't fully gone away in my life, but it's turned it around. Worrying about other people takes our eyes off ourselves. Um, and I just want to say about depression, that's not the solution for all depression. You know, depression can be spiritually based, it can be physically based as well. You know, so if you are, we, I know Mike mentioned that at the end of last week's sermon, if you feel like you're in that zone, come speak to us. The solutions, what God says in each situation is different. And those on the outside, if you're on the outside and if you feel like you're not connecting as family, I want to encourage you guys, you need to press in. In Philippians 2, 3 to 6, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Now some of us read that verse and be like, Aha! See, you're supposed to be involved in my interests. You're supposed to love me. You're supposed to take care of me. How many of us read that verse and see like, there it is, proof. You guys haven't connected with me enough recently. Some of us read this verse like that. We use it as a defense mechanism, but actually the verse is speaking to us. Rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest on others. That's what God was saying to me on that walk when I was ha- had enough. He was saying, look at other people. Look after the interests of other people. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. And there's countless people here this morning, countless people who have come through young adults in our connection there and other parts of the church where I can say these people are here because they desire to see other people improve. And those people, those are the people who are connected. Those are the people who have found family. Those are people who have found comfort in this place. For those of us who are established, maybe you've been here at, um, for years and maybe you've found family, just one quick, quick question I want to ask you is when was the last time you, you, you met someone new here at church? When was the last time? We have lots of people new come to Oceanside Church all the time. Maybe just for a few weeks. Maybe for longer. But when was the last time you made space? Let's look out for those people. Um, And be aware of the things that cause loneliness in our lives. You know, loneliness, it's this thing that spirals and spirals and spirals and gets worse all the time. 
We can be listening to lies. We can be listening to half-truths. Like we read that verse, and when we say, see, you were supposed to look after me. We can only be reading half the verse, and we, can't be, we can be not turning it around to ourselves. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Don't listen to the lies that want to stir division and alienate you from people. Look at people with a radical grace that Jesus had towards his disciples. Same thing. You know, we listen to stories that are tailored to our own insecurities. It's all that Instagram feed. It's all that explore feed. We're, we're, we're trained to go after the things that speaks to us, that speaks to us in our insecurity, that speaks to us in our depression. We get more and more that way. Instead, don't listen to that stuff. Put the focus back on God. And we blame others without working through forgiveness. If there's blame here this morning, if you look at certain people around here and they're the reason why you're not connecting in or they hurt you or anything else, guys, we need to have a radical community here this morning. You know, because God says you can't hate your brother and love me. You can't do that. Those, that's opposite. Over the last few weeks, I'm just going to end here. Mike, do you want the band up or anything? Yeah, if the band could come up. Mike's been challenging us in the last few weeks. What is the ultimate hope for this? What, how can we step into this? I know for myself, like even in our marriage, even in our community here, I know there's, there's no way that I can do this by myself. There's no way that I can even take the best points of the bullet points of this preach and go out and do this well. But what Mike has been encouraging us over the last few weeks is to abide, to spend time with Jesus. In John 15, Jesus gives us the key on how to live out this new commandment with one another. In John 15, he says, I, Jesus speaking about himself, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you abide in me. The key to family, the key to community, the key for me and Camilla having a good marriage, the key for us having a good connection with you guys, it all comes back to abiding in Jesus. There's no other way you can do it, church. It's so supernatural that Jesus says that people will know him by the fact that you love one another. Therefore, we can't obtain that from ourselves. We can't step into that without first stepping into Jesus. Later in that, in that same section, from verse 9, it says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in me, in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abided in his love. These things I have spoken to you is so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one If we were unsure what he was talking about, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I love you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I commanded you to. Do what I commanded you. And that's big. You're my friends if you do what I commanded you. You're Jesus' friends this morning. If you love, if you look to love one another like he loves you, that's challenging especially if you're being introspective this morning, especially if you came in that mode where it was just you just wanted to connect between you and Jesus this morning and leave. You can't connect fully with God unless you step into that commandment that he commanded us to love one another. And it's messy and it's dirty and we need forgiveness. 
we get in the we get in go through seasons in and out of seasons and we need grace and peace and love for one another. But that all comes from Jesus. So press in church. We have connect groups, we have ladies' groups, we have men's groups. Press in. Because family is the launch pad for everything else we want to do, everything that Jesus commanded. It's the launch pad. Mike's going to come up and he's going to share a few things. But be, please be encouraged this morning. Please press in. Come and speak to us. Come speak to the visitors' lounge. Come find some of us leaders here and ask, how, do, how can I do this? How can I step into it? We want to see our church flourish and we want to see the word of God to go out to Nanaimo because we stand as the proof in love for one another that declares the name of Jesus outside these walls. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Outstanding. So. I just feel it would be good for us to um, pray for each other. That's what we've been talking about. And so, um, if you'd like to stand, um, pray for someone near you or come around just for a moment. It's a wonderful time to start being part of the family, as family should be. So if we could stand, and I'm just going to ask you, they're just going to play in the background, and I want to pray over you. So.